Dr. Flowers. How you doing? I am great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little bit sad. I'm starting to get a little sad because... Mm-hmm. I already know. <laughs> <laughs> we are nearing the end. We are approaching the end of this run. Man, it went by so quickly. I know. I We're know. not done yet, though. Not, we still got no. a few more, but... Have a few more, but this has been so incredibly fun. Yes, yes, I'm excited. And I got to tell you, I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I completely forgot about this episode. <laughs> did you? Me too. I me did. Too. <laughs> it feels like a brand new episode to me. And I feel like I've seen everything, but maybe I haven't. Yeah, I know. Uh, I guess some episodes may resonate. Uh, and hit our memory banks more than others. But this was definitely um, one of those that I think may have slid under the radar, but I enjoy watching it nonetheless because it's a different world. And a different world is the most important sitcom ever. <laughs> Amen. All right. And like you said, a different world is the most important sitcom ever. That is why we created this podcast, which is called Hillman Class Reunion. Classmates, y'all know the drill. We have structured this podcast to review each and every episode in chronological order. We are on season two, if you don't know. If, you, um, if you're behind, if you're just now finding out about us, go ahead and check us out. Go start from the beginning. Check out season one. Or you could start with season two. Some people like to do that, too. Yep, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> if you do, we do not take it personally. We understand. <laughs> yes, no judgment. Uh, and we are actually reviewing today episode 19 entitled Take This Job and Love It. So we're going to be talking about work today. Mm -hmm. So pull out your blankets, your drinks, your food, get comfy and cozy, hang out with us on the quad as we get into it. Now, this episode aired on March 23rd, 1989, or so we believe. Um, you know, again, we like to do deep dives here. We do our best to do our due diligence in the research department. Um, <laughs> but there may be things that we might get wrong. We might overlook a few things. So classmates, this is interactive. Let us know. Hit us up on social media if you got any information that we don't know about and and share the wealth. Please do. Yes. Constructive criticism is welcome and appreciated, but do not troll us. We will block you. <laughs> we won't play that. Yes, but we do we do enjoy feedback and we yes. do enjoy having fun and, and interacting with y'all. So we are really looking forward to hearing your thoughts about this episode. And the summary is as follows. Whitley takes a job at the pit. Let that sink for a minute. Whitley about to work at the pit in order to pay for repairs to damage she's caused to Mr. Gaines' car. Oh, my goodness. Girl. However, Kim finds Whitley's innovative ideas a threat to her success as the golden child. Oh, okay. Well, this is, this is actually a, a really good uh, concept mm -hmm. uh, for an episode. We're about to see Whitley and Kim um, in a different light. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this episode, like every episode we have found this season, 
was directed by the great Debbie Allen. And this episode was written by Yvette Lee Bowser. Rhonda, tell us a little bit about Yvette Lee Bowser. I recognize her name. Of course you do. And I'm sure many of our listeners recognize the name also. Uh, Yvette Lee Bowser really shaped and defined and redefined television for women of color as just an incredible and phenomenal writer and producer. She is the first African-American woman to develop her own primetime series. What was that series? The iconic sitcom Living Single. Wow, get out of here. Girl, you knew that. (laughs) No, I knew that she developed Living Single. I didn't know she was the first Black woman. Wow, that's amazing. And she was pretty young, too. She was in her 20s when she did this. I think she was like 28. Oh, wow. Okay. When she developed Living Single. <laughs> right. I know, right? <laughs> so also, for those of you who may not know, this is also the show from which Friends is based on. Okay? So before there was Friends, there was Living Single. So give this Black woman her flowers. That's because right. again, she redefined how we see Black women on television, Black people, Black young adults on television, and she was a trailblazer for creating really a subgenre of, of television, if you will. Mm-hmm. And of course, she got her start as a writer and producer of A Different World. Uh, she's been described as having an exceptional ability to tell the stories of and express Black life on screen. I absolutely love um, how uh, Ms. Bowser has depicted us on television. It's been phenomenal. I can't say enough how watching Living Single as a young girl, young adolescent growing up really shaped my perspective, um, how I wanted to navigate life as a young adult, right? This is how I set goals. I was like, oh, I want to go to college, go to grad school, and, you know, just live this fabulous single life and enjoy my friends, especially Mm -hmm. in my early 20s. So, you know, again, can't express enough love and give her enough shout outs. I was reading an Essence article online about her recently, and they described her as the Nostradamus of Black entertainment, or rather the Black Nostradamus of entertainment. Wow. <laughs> That's quite a title. That is quite a title, and I think it's it's pretty fitting. <laughs> she also wrote and produced Half and Half. You remember that one, Portia? I sure do. And currently, she is executive producing shows like Dear White People, which comes on Netflix, and Blackish. She is also working alongside Leah Davenport on Run the World, which is a New Stars original series featuring young Black women in their, um, I think, maybe late 20s, early 30s, early to mid 30s. And, you know, showing them how they're navigating life, career, relationships, uh, romantic relationships and friendships. I have not gotten a chance to see Run the Rail yet, but I have heard many uh, really positive things about it. So I definitely want to catch up on that and maybe do a marathon watch. Fun fact about Ms. Bowser. She attended Stanford University, where in the spring of 1986, she pledged the Xi Beta chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. So she is my soror. So shout out to this phenomenal woman of 
again, Alpha Kappa Alpha for just being a trailblazer in television, especially um, the impact that she has had in shaping and defining how we see Black women in media. So that's wow. just a little bit about um, Yvette Lee Bowser. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, LaRonda. Um, and I know that that we will hear more about um, Yvette Lee Bowser, um, you know, in the coming episodes um, and seasons yeah. know, as she continues on with writing and producing for A Different World. Um, also, one thing that just stood out to me, you said that she attended Stanford Another person who attended Stanford is Issa Rae. And oh. I've often heard um, Insecure be compared to Living Single. So okay. that's real interesting that they have that connection there. And I'm sure that, you know, you could probably draw a line um, straight from Living Single to mm-hmm. to uh, Insecure. There's a generation yeah. of folks now that probably look at that the same way that we watched Living Single back in the day. I- I'm sure it's like Debbie Allen beget Yvette, Yvette beget <laughs> Issa, Issa. Rae. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the legacy continues. So shout out to these phenomenal, incredibly talented women of color, just giving us some really good, solid entertainment and also inspiration. Right. Absolutely. These shows mean so much to us. They really do. Yeah. Now, Yvette Lee Bowser. Bowser, I think, is her uh, married name. So yes. if you look on the credits, you'll see Yvette Denise Lee, I think, mm-hmm. um, yep. is what she went by back then. So, yep. yeah, it, make sure you you go and look on the credits and see, um, especially over the years, um, all the things that she has done with A Different World. Okay, so let's get back into this particular episode with our producers list. And y'all know, y'all, y'all already know we shout them out every episode, but they deserve to be shouted out. They are Marcy Carsey, Debbie Allen, Joanne Curley Kerner, Susan Fales, Nancy Haas, Thad Mumford, Margie Peters, and Tom Werner. And our cast. Um, almost all of the cast members are in this episode today. We have Jasmine Guy, Don Lewis, Kadeem Hardison, Daryl and Bell, Charnell Brown, Cree Summer, Glenn Turman, and Lou Myers. Sinbad and Mary Alice are taking a break for today. But we have two guest appearances in their place. LaRonda, tell us who is uh, stopping by in this episode. So we have Randall Adams or the character Randall Adams being played by Maurice Davis. We've seen Maurice before. I think he's one of our favorite guest characters. He's so funny to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's back again in this episode for what I believe is the sixth time this season and his final time. I believe this is his last appearance on A Different World. When we looked him up, we could not find a lot of information about him but his last tv credit according to imdb is on a season two episode of in living color in 1991 so again classmates if you have any updates about maurice davis please let us know because we love the character of randall and also we have a character playing ron's barber and we'll learn more about that as we describe the plot and Ron's barber is played by Mr. Damon Whitaker. Now, does that name sound familiar? The last name, especially. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, it does. Why? Because he, Damon Whitaker is actually the younger, one of the younger brothers of the actor Forrest Whitaker. So I know you know that name. Damon is often cast, especially back then, as the younger version of many of Forrest Whitaker's characters. So if you've ever seen a movie where Forrest's character is playing a role that grows, you know, that goes from boy to man, and the actors look a lot alike, that's because his brother is playing the younger version of that character. According to um, some information I found on the Rotten Tomatoes website, Damon Whitaker has been known for a few roles uh, or several roles on the silver screen. He began his career with roles in the Forrest Whitaker biopic, uh, yeah, biopic Bird. This was a film of the biographical account of the troubled life and career of jazz musician Charlie Bird Parker. Have you ever seen that movie? No, but I've heard of it. I did not know it existed until I was looking up Damon Whitaker. So I got to check it out. So additional acting credits include Out All Night, um, the musical drama Mr. Holland's Opus. He also acted in the crime flick Saints and Sinners. Uh, He's appeared in The Burning Zone, which is a UPN series, and Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, with his brother uh, Forrest Whitaker. He's appeared in the romantic comedy First Daughter and several other films. Most recently, he was seen playing a minor role in the film Triple Threat. So that's just a little bit about Damon Whitaker, the brother of or the younger brother of Forrest Whitaker. So those are our two guest appearances in this episode. All right. You know, I don't think it's as uncommon as we may think um, for the siblings of well-known actors to kind of play first of all to to, um, you know have acting careers of their own Mm -hmm. um, but also to kind of play the younger version um, of each other because I just heard about um, Don Cheadle apparently there was a movie or at least one movie um, where his brother, his younger brother played him. And it was a biopic as well. I think it was uh, Earl the Goat, Man of Goat or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was a basketball uh, biopic film Uh um, earlier in his career. And um, yeah, his brother played him. So I'm sure, uh, (laughs) I'm sure there there could, there's probably a podcast right now that's looking at (laughs) all these sibling connections in, in Hollywood. So Uh Listen, I was today years old. I did not <laughs> know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get into the scenes. So the sequence opens in the commons area of McClurkin Hall, where Ron is entangled in a physical but comedic altercation with another male student. Though we are not sure initially what the fight is about, we do hear Ron yell that he wants his money back. Dwayne comes in and immediately tries to break up the fight, but his efforts fail. However, the faithful friend that Dwayne is, he does not retreat and eventually is able to pull Ron and the other gentlemen apart. As Dwayne tries to settle Ron down, because of course he's at a 10, Ron pulls off his hat to reveal his botched haircut, which is why he is literally fighting mad. Ron's haircut invokes boisterous laughs from all the bystanders, including his best friend, Dwayne. 
and they also mock him for having a haircut that resembles a landing strip. Poor Ron. Understandably for Ron, this is no laughing matter. Though Dwayne suggests that Ron cover up the catastrophe of a haircut with a hat, we learn that this is not a viable solution because Ron cannot wear a hat in ROTC. Quite a bit happening here. Ron is in a fight because he got a botched haircut. One of the first things I noticed in watching this scene was one of the guys in the lobby that's standing relatively close to Dwayne. He has on a, like a seafoam green sweater. And I'm wondering, is that the same guy that had the jerry curl with the ponytail in a previous episode that had on the alpha sweatshirt? Yeah, you're talking about the Valentine's Day episode. Yes. Okay, so I know who you're talking about. I don't remember seeing him in this scene, but now I got some homework to do. I got to go back and watch now. The other thing that stood out to me about this scene, did we know Ron was in ROTC? I didn't know. Okay. <laughs> I definitely did not know. Okay, so um, we learned that Ron is in ROTC, bless his heart. And then I also thought about the fact that at colleges, and this is probably true of HBCUs as well as um, PWIs, there's generally a student there that can do hair. There's like a dorm room beautician slash stylist. And then oftentimes, you know, the, the guys have a go-to or connect for, um, you know, a male haircut or, you know, the gentleman's haircut. Do you recall or were there any, or rather at Colgate, did you all have like a resident dorm stylist? Yeah. Okay. So I went to Colgate, which is a predominantly white institution, um, but they had a dorm called the Harlem Renaissance Center. Oh, nice. You know, and they, lots of schools have, have dorms or, or different um, uh, houses that have different themes. And so this was a dorm with the theme of celebrating African-American culture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, basically a lot of black students lived there. And that saved my life my freshman year. Once I found out that existed, I was like, uh, top number one. This is my number one choice. I'm yeah. feeling two and three, <laughs> but I'm, I'm getting one. Um, but yeah, so I lived there my first two years. Um, and that became, of course, the center for, um, for Black students on campus. And um, I remember in the basement, there was like a, a side room that was supposed to be a study room. There was a study room on, a, on each floor mm-hmm. that barely went, um, that were barely used. But in the basement, that mm-hmm. room was used because that room was turned into a barbershop. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the dudes, he came in with his clippers and he became the go-to person. I'm sure there were other people, you know, throughout the years. But when I was there, that was the guy. Every guy I knew went to him to get his their hair cut. And as far as the girls, I remember at least my freshman year, um, my roommate actually was the go-to um for roller sets okay that roller wrap girl yeah yes (laughs) yes so she had she had rollers she had she knew how to wrap she had the pins she had the um you know the overhead dryer and it was nothing to see people randomly in our room 
you know, getting their hair rolled. And then eventually I went and I bought some rollers and I bought um, a dryer okay. as well, um, you know, so that I could have access to my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, if I needed my hair to be done, I'd ask her and I'd have my supplies already. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you help each other out. There was another young lady, uh, maybe my junior year or sophomore year, she became mm-hmm. the go-to person if you wanted to get your hair braided because cornrows were starting to get big during that time. So mm-hmm. people was getting their hair braided. They had beads on the ends and, you know, getting cool little styles. I mean, designs and stuff. She would braid it in zigzag patterns and everything. Nice. So, yeah. You know, we did what we had to do, especially because we were in the middle of nowhere. It felt, you know, it was a white campus in a white town. Mm -hmm. Um, So there really weren't many uh, resources we had to do, do with what we had. (laughs) I understand. Yeah, we definitely had the dorm room um, stylists and barbers at Tougaloo. So, you know, big shout out to those of you who held down the fort making sure we were able to get our hair done, haircuts, and eyebrows arched (laughs) while on campus. Yeah, yeah. Your efforts have not gone unnoticed or unappreciated. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and also, I remember, um, you know, that, I don't know if maybe this is just how college is, but at least at that time, uh, people were kind of experimenting with natural hairstyles as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you don't have access to um, professional hairstylists, you just kind of do your own thing and you let it go. So I remember I came in with a perm and then eventually I transitioned into um, my natural hair that I have uh, today. I don't have a perm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that made it easier. uh, Easier is not the word that I want to say, but it it made um, it made me. It helped to facilitate my transition because I didn't have yeah. access to anyone who could right. who could uh, give me those regular touch-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and then there were other guys who, like I said, there, that uh, there was a student that was the go-to barber. But there were other guys that were just made the decision, I'm not going to get my hair cut anymore. I want to grow my hair out mm-hmm. into a fro. I just, you know, I want to see how long my hair can get. I want to see how big my hair can get. You know, so it was nothing to see a bunch of dudes <laughs> who who mostly were on the football team. And that's a whole nother conversation. Right. <laughs> um, why are all the black guys on the football team? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, got these big froze and then they have to try to push push their helmets down on top of their head. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, you know, we were experimenting, trying to trying to figure it all out. Yeah, definitely remember those days. But no one, thankfully, no one showed up looking like Ron by the head. <laughs> oh, poor Ron. I found myself throughout this episode saying, poor Ron. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I don't even know how you don't feel that. Once you feel those clippers go up, up yeah. the middle of your head, yeah. I, I mean, you should turn around and be like, what's happening? And how did the barber continue to do that? I mean. And then got the nerve to... <laughs> To defend himself. <laughs> uh-uh. I'm going to assume that this guy was a hustler and he really did not know how to do hair or cut hair. And 
he was just trying to hustle up on some money and told Ron, yeah, man, I got you. I can, I can fade you up real quick. And the disaster ensued. I mean, you know, and also just so short-sighted, the campus ape is so big. And I assume that they're all in that same dorm. So it ain't like, I mean, yeah, we fighting today and they broke us up, but it ain't like I can't find you tomorrow. <laughs> I know where you live. <laughs> true. I know where you live. Yeah. So shout out to that stunt work, by the way. That, that was some fighting going on. <laughs> that fight was funny. We don't endorse violence, but that fight was funny. <laughs> All right. So the scene then cuts to the patio at the pit where we learn that Whitley has hit and caused damage to Mr. Gaines's car. Freddie and Whitley go back and forth about which of them is at fault. Then Whitley makes a beeline to Mr. Gaines in an attempt to resolve the issue without incident. Whitley tries to manage the crisis herself such that her father does not find out and she proceeds to pull out her checkbook, which by the way is clothed in a Louis Vuitton cover, to financially compensate Mr. Gaines for the damage. Mr. Gaines then runs down a list and the associated cost of the repairs, which seems to be endless and totaling over a thousand dollars. All right, so first of all, this is not the first accident that Whitley's car has been involved in. If you recall, in a previous episode, I forget the title, but the episode where Kimberly Reese thinks that she may be pregnant. Mm-hmm. Whitley gives her car to Freddie <laughs> to like shoo her right. away and tells her to go get pizza or something. And Freddie ends up with a fender bender. And now Whitley and Freddie were together. This time Whitley was driving and Freddie, you know, accuses her or says that had she not been going 45 miles per hour while trying to apply lip gloss, they would not have had the accident anyway. So Whitley and Freddie again involved in the scene of Whitley's, you know, car being in an accident. Well, Whitley seems to be the only one who has a car. So if sure. somebody's going to get, if, if somebody's car is going to be in an accident, it's going to have to be Whitley's. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. And what you said just reminded me of this occurrence on campus. I remember I was enrolled in a health and wellness class, some elective while in college. And this was early on in the semester, my freshman year. And there was, our teacher was talking to us about, most of the students were freshmen. So our teacher was talking to us about how we were making the adjustment. I think it was, you know, like a mental health check. How are you guys doing? Blah, 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 blah. So this one guy, I can't think of his name, but I can see his face right now. He was from either Chicago or Detroit. He went on a rant about how there were lots of students on campus or several students on campus with cars, but they were hesitant or didn't want to give students without cars a ride to the grocery store. And the teacher went off and was like, how dare you try to dictate how somebody manages or, you know, does what they do with their car, like how a person manages their car. Like that that's none of your business. <laughs> You can't be mad because, you know, you don't have a car. So we found that kind of funny the way she just went in on him. But saying all of that to say, did a lot of people on your campus have cars? And was there a resident 
student or person that had a car that everybody or many people tended to rely on? Um, they discouraged cars on campus. It was a small campus. Oh. Um, and freshmen, I think the I think the rule was freshmen had to live on campus. Um, and there was limited parking available for freshmen. Um, certainly not on like, you know, you couldn't park next to your dorm. Um, you had to park far away in some mm-hmm. other parking lot. Um so that, you know, that that certainly discouraged things. I didn't have a car until after I graduated college. I didn't even start college with a driver's license. Um, so it wasn't an issue for me in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it was a small college town. Um, Colgate is in Hamilton, New York. Very small uh, place. But uh, that also meant that things were pretty close by. Uh, gotcha. So it wasn't. It wasn't that difficult to get to the grocery store, to get to the pharmacy. And there was quite a bit on campus, a lot of resources um, on campus um, that we could avail ourselves of. But um, yeah, there were a few people um, that we knew that had cars on campus. And whenever, um, you know, we would we would try to wait until they were going to go to the store and then we would all jump in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so if it was time for them to go to the grocery store, okay, let's all go. Or sometimes we might ask them to take us. Um, the The nearest mall was, you know, like in Syracuse, basically. So that was mm-hmm. an hour away. Um, so you know, we would we would try to be uh, courteous and and pay for gas if they would yeah. take us to the mall and then try to make a day of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and they were very kind to to allow us to 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 jump in the car with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I never asked to use their car. I didn't want to be that, that bold. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we definitely had to lean on, on our friends to, to get that help. And it was, it was challenging at times, but you know, you, you use your resources and, and you, you make do. And then of course, when you have to, when it, when it's time for you to go home, um, during breaks, you, be strategic about about your right. your shopping and making sure that you pick up stuff along the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you you do what you gotta do. What about yeah. you? Did you have a car? So let me vent. My parents promised me a car when I went to college. I had a car in high school, but it wasn't um a it 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 would it, it couldn't have made it to college. Right, that it was just you know a little bucket to get around my small town. Yeah, it wasn't safe enough to to be traversing back and forth to school. So my freshman year, I did not get the car. I didn't get it until my sophomore year. But thankfully, my roommate, who ended up being my best friend, she had a car. So I was very blessed and fortunate and able to pretty much traverse around the city and get what I wanted whenever I wanted it. And I would give her gas money to show my appreciation and to be courteous. So um I was pretty fortunate in that way. Yeah. Now, one thing about Mr. Gaines that impressed me was the fact that he was able to roll off a list of repairs and the associated cost very seamlessly. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, and you know how sometimes we like to fill in the blanks (laughs) with the backstory of some of our characters. Do you think Mr. Gaines may have been uh, a mechanic? in the army or maybe in a former job? 
Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. You know, I think so. Okay. I, I looked at it a little differently. Okay. So I was thinking about how he was able to add those numbers up so quickly. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's related to him working in the pit. He's just, you know, so used mm-hmm. to just add numbers. Um, mm-hmm. But you're saying he he knew the cost of each of those repairs. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the impressive part, which is impressive. And I didn't yeah. think about that. Um, he might have been a mechanic in his former life. I don't know. Yeah, like he knew what was wrong. He knew the part that he needed <laughs> and he like he knew the parts and he knew the cost yeah he who knows and to your point added those numbers up in his head <laughs> yeah I mean you know if, if you're a fan of a different world you know I'm not ain't no spoiler um Mr. Gaines and his wife owns a uh an apartment building yep. <laughs> that Dwayne and Ron and, and uh, Whitley and Jaleesa will eventually move in um, in the next season or two. Um, but yeah, so, you know, he had, he has that business on the side and he's doing the pit and he used to be in the military. Who knows what else he's got going on? He might be a, a you know, a, a male version of Letty. Just True. doing a little bit of everything. Just doing a little bit of everything. Can we say Jack of all trades? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the next scene. So later that day, we see Whitley and Kim back in their room as Whitley is despondent because according to her, the bank has bounced the check she wrote to Mr. Gaines. Right. Not that her check has bounced. The bank has bounced the check. <laughs> Did you catch that? <laughs> uh-huh. Kim is shocked that Whitley's check had insufficient funds. But she offers a solution. Kim suggests that Whitley takes a temporary gig at the pit. But Whitley rejects that idea and she decides to consider other ways to come up with the cash. As the two continue chatting, Jaleesa walks in to announce a dorm meeting and Whitley tries to liquidate her fox fur jacket under a lease to own agreement with Jaleesa. However, Jaleesa rejects that offer and says that she will remain one of Whitley's minkless sisters. <laughs> Poor Mr. Gaines, he was not playing. I was struck by the fact that he went to the bank that quick. <laughs> he didn't wait for that ink to dry. He said, I'm about, I'm about to get my car back on the road right now. He did not wait for that ink to dry. He was like, I don't trust this little girl. No way. Uh-huh. I bet he left that pit real quick, real fast, quick, in a hurry to cash um, that check. And poor Whitley is cash strapped. I wonder what happened. What do, you, what do you think happened? Again, we like to fill in the blanks. Whitley. Okay. So first of all, the fact that Whitley is writing a check tells me she does not have insurance because she should not be writing a check just straight up on her own. That's why Mr. Gaines wanted to talk to her insurance agent. She, he didn't want to talk to her anyway. And she was just like, oh, no, no, no. That won't be necessary. We can handle it between us. <laughs> so uh, I have a slightly different backstory. I think Willie has insurance. However, Willie really doesn't want her dad to know because she's under her parents' policy. And the thing about insurance is that it's already expensive when you are younger, even if you are under your parents' policy. And two, you know, there is a deductible 
three, your rates go up after an accident. And four, this is probably not Whitley's first fender bender. Possible. That's that's possible. I think it's more so she doesn't want her dad to know because if she goes to the insurance company, her dad will find out. And I think she may be concerned about having her car privileges revoked. I mean, that could be it. Although I thought I heard her say later on in the episode, she didn't have any car insurance. So what happened was, we'll, we'll get to that scene, but she oh, was... Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay. We'll get, she, did, she does say that, but it doesn't apply to her. Okay, got so, it. So yeah, here she's trying to avoid her dad knowing. But I think it's because this is not the first accident she's had. And I'm not, and this is Sans Freddie. <laughs> Right, 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 right. Yeah, because Freddie ended up fixing it for her. Right. And remember, I said that, you know, Willie is my spirit animal. And and once I got my car, I did have my share of fender benders. My dad had used to say to me, you know, oh, so I guess the curb just jumped out and hit you, right? I'm like, yep. <laughs> poles, poles used to hit me all the time. Oh, Lord. Yeah. I think you were with me one time, Portia. We were leaving SU like a concert or something and I hit a curb and busted my tire oh okay so I remember (laughs) I was not in the car with you but I think we were in separate vehicles and then I passed you and you were you were kind of just on the side of the road because your tire was flat (laughs) and that was that was a that was a sight that was an ordeal yeah so I can empathize with Whitley (laughs) <laughs> that's how I know the story <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> well moving along the next day Whitley calls her dad to seek financial assistance however she is not completely forthcoming because she tells her dad she needs the money to loan to Kim because Kim had a vehicular accident and Kim does not have auto insurance oh <laughs> That's how that conversation went. As Whitley is telling her dad the big lie, Kim walks in as Whitley is on the phone, and then Whitley immediately backs off of that story. Realizing that Whitley is still in a desperate situation, Kim reminds Whitley that the pit still has a temporary opening and further informs her that the gig pays $5 an hour. Though Whitley scoffs at the idea of doing manual labor, she does not turn down the offer. All right, y'all. So Whitley is going to work at the pit. Mm. Have you ever been in a financial bind and scared or hesitant to approach your parents? Absolutely. What did you eventually do? Um, I eventually had to ask them for help. Um, you know, grad school will do that to you. Mm-hmm. You know, FYI, if y'all don't know, um, grad school does not pay very well. And uh, and I was one of the fortunate ones because um, STEM grad students tend to get paid a little bit more than non-STEM grad students as far as um, research assistantship stipends go. Right. Um, so, you know, I was always grateful for that. But those stipends were never enough to like actually support yourself um, in any real way and certainly not enough to handle any emergencies. Um, So, you know, if you have a flat tire or if you get a a parking ticket or if you have a medical bill or something, 
it it'll put you out. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, let's be honest. I was a research assistant or a teaching assistant as well when I was in graduate school. And essentially, assistantships are like poverty wages. Yep. Yeah, they're poverty wages. And because you're in grad school, guess what? You don't qualify for benefits or uh, any type of subsidized assistance. Mm-hmm. I remember I went down to the, to the welfare office and I applied to see if I could qualify for some. And they said I made like 200 more over like I, I was about 200 300 dollars over the threshold mm-hmm. um so I was like I can't believe it I right. am almost qualified um and I know that they said those numbers on purpose um I'm almost qualified for public assistance I, I need public assistance or mm-hmm. something to supplement this income this stipend mm-hmm. um but you know, and also they they tell you, oh, you can't work extra hours. You're you know you're here to get your education, and so um, you can't take on another job. You can't do this. You can't do that. Um, and you know the truth of the matter is, you don't really have time to take on another job. No, absolutely. Um, so anyway, you know it's it's really tough, and so you really need financial support. Um, and so there were plenty of times where I had to go to my parents or even my sister, um, or sometimes even friends, mm-hmm. um, and borrow money. And I'm so grateful to all those people who dug into their pockets to help me out, to let me borrow money or, or, you know, they even gifted me money. Right. Um, and I, I needed every penny, mm-hmm. but it was, it was challenging because I also, have always been the type of person who wanted to be self self sufficient. Same. Um, never wanted to put anybody out. Never wanted to ask for help. Um, so it was always at the last minute. And and you know, unfortunately, it also put me in a difficult position because I tried to figure it out up until the last second. So usually, mm-hmm. when I went to somebody, it's the last resort, and like I need the money tomorrow. So I put them in a bit of a bind, um, Mm -hmm. which made it worse, but it was because I was trying to figure it out. So it it never felt good to to go to someone to ask for help. And I always felt like I was a failure, but, you know, these are the realities of just not having enough money. Yeah, it's definitely um, true. And I can identify with all that you were saying, especially... um, just wanting to be independent and wanting to do things yourself. So um, I would too, when finding myself, especially in grad school in a financial bind, would you know pull out all the stops and try to figure it out myself, uh, even to the point of taking out extra loans, mm-hmm. student loans, which I wish I did not, I had not done, but you know it's history now. But um, yeah, but saying all of that to say, too, I am grateful for the support of friends and family that I had to lean on because there are many people who don't even have that. So, and it's okay. I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning that it is okay to need and ask for help. Right. It is okay. Right. So, but nonetheless, Whitley is going to be, you know, or try to be a big girl in this situation. 
And so she's going to take this job. And a little later on, we will get into how that works out for her. One more question I have. What do you think Marion Gilbert would think about her working at the pit? Oh, she would be embarrassed. <laughs> she probably, <laughs> she'd probably try to dissuade her and, and probably um, try to come up with some, some plan or some scheme to get the money out of her father. Yeah, exactly. Um, Cause her baby is not going to be, you know, doing manual labor, um, working at the pit. That's for other people. Right. Cause at a previous episode, Marion was scoffing at her even having an internship at an art gallery. Right. Yeah. So you know she has an issue with her working at a fast food joint. <laughs> oh, please. We don't do that. You, you're right. too busy. Your social calendar is way too busy. Exactly. Plus, I mean, what what does that look like? Your, your last name is Gilbert. You live in right. Gilbert Hall, but you don't have any money. That, that doesn't look good on the family. You right. cannot work. Right. <laughs> and I'm Girl. on the board of trustees. You can't work. <laughs> Girl, Marion probably would have caught the first flights down there to Virginia or dr- driven, hot-tailed it from Richmond, wherever she at. <laughs> uh-huh. She would have wrote a check. She, you know, she might not even uh, say anything to the file. She would have wrote a check of her own and, and gave it to Mr. Gaines and said, it's good. You can take this to the bank right now. <laughs> true, true, true. All right. Well, let's revisit our other subplot. So back at McClurkin Hall, Dwayne has a solution for Ron. He suggests that Ron act like he got the haircut on purpose and become a trendsetter. However, Ron has a better idea. He simply plans not to go to his ROTC class. So he's pretending to be sick. Dwayne then presents Ron with a plan B, a botch to pay while still cracking jokes. Poor Ron. He is just the laughing stock of the campus and his best friend. Now, do you think Dwayne was being a good friend in this instance? No. He he was too busy getting them jokes off. I mean, I understand it's a funny situation, but Ron was really feeling bad. And he could have used a little bit more support. He didn't need to have somebody joking to his face when he knows that they're also laughing behind his back. Right. Um, yeah, I, I Dwayne could have been a better friend. And I've had things happen to friends before, and they were quite hilarious. I remember we were in Iceland one time, and my girlfriend, she had, like, just gotten some hair color. And it was blonde, and we were in the Blue Lagoon, which is a tourist trap, by the way. If you ever go to Iceland, don't go to the Blue Lagoon. It's not worth it. But anyway, the water's supposed to be, like, really bad for your hair. And so she was very cognizant and careful and cautious about not getting her hair wet. And so at, in the Blue Lagoon, there's like these bars in the water. So we had a couple of drinks, cocktails, whatever. And we were walking. To, we were trying to find a, a place to sit. And somehow she tripped and almost fell into the water. And she pretty much lost it. But that was the funniest thing. And I, I laughed with tears. She didn't think it was. I, I know. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, girl. You know who you are if you're listening. My bad. Yeah. But, 
it's tough when when something funny happens, but you know you 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 got to try to excuse yourself for something, uh, so that they don't feel too bad. Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we all laugh at it now, though, so it's all good. Now, have you ever had a bad salon experience? I have. What I remember. So okay, this was when I was still somewhat early in my natural hair phase well not a phase anymore but you know post uh, post perm and um but occasionally I would get it um straightened you know mm-hmm. with with the with the press and comb um and get it trimmed and I made the wrong assumption that a- any black um stylist would know how to handle natural hair and I went to this stylist and she said yeah I can do it they never say no. They always say, right. oh, yeah. And this lady basically burned my hair. She kept pressing my hair. And, like, she would go through one pass, two pass, three pass. Like, the entire head, I think she had pressed three times. And it still wasn't. Like, you would think that it would be bone straight. It was not. I don't know what she was doing. And she didn't know what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I'm just kind of like, you know, once I see it in the mirror, I'm kind of smiling and I'm just like, okay, thank you. And I go home and I'm just like, my hair is ruined. And of course, when I washed it, there were um, parts that were, um, you know, uh, still straight. They didn't go back. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was really disappointed, but it was a lesson. And I learned, um, you know, do not go to people who don't know how to do natural hair, ask more questions, you know, pay attention to their clientele, um, you know, and also go to people who know how to trim your hair without having to straighten it. Yeah. Like that, that doesn't have to happen. And another time I remember going to this one stylist, so I had gone to him to get my hair permed before. And then I transitioned and he said, oh, yeah, I can do, I can do your hair. Um, so I went to him. He and, and my hair, you know, he washed my hair and then he was going to blow dry it and straighten it. He half blow dried my hair. It was Aww. still kind of damp. And then he he went and got the hot comb to straighten it. And I was like, my hair's not completely dry yet. And he was like, oh, don't worry, it'll be fine. You know, this will this will help to finish the the drying process. So he no. like, yeah, he he messed my hair up too, because I'm just sitting there like, well, okay, I I guess I've never had that happen. I've never done that to my hair. I've never heard of that. But maybe he knows more than I do, and I let him do that to my hair, and I've never gone back since then. Yeah. Not to veer too far off topic, but since we're on the topic of natural hair, um, you know, we just have to throw in this caveat. You were, you've been natural a few years longer than I have, but we've both been natural for a long, long time. And we went natural before natural was trending. <laughs> and back then, especially stylists really had an almost abhorrence for natural hair. And their goal was to make it straight. Like they felt like that was the only tolerable thing to do to your hair. So like you, I also had to start my hair over several times. Mm -hmm. 
And thankfully now, there's definitely um, a larger market for us in terms of products as well as stylists. And now there are stylists who love curls, who love um, natural hair, and who will not compromise the integrity of your hair. So thank God for that progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, w- it was tough back then. And it's still tough, you know, it- you you have to learn it's it's a whole it's a learning process and and um there's a lot more resources youtube has definitely changed the game there's a lot of people that are sharing information there don't you wish you had started a youtube channel back in the day i mean i'd be rich and famous yeah we we could be rich because like i said we did you did it before me and we were pretty early like we did this before this was popular yeah i mean it was it was a lot of trial and error and you know i i have to give credit to a friend of mine angela um back at colgate she was the first one that i knew that had made the transition she transitioned in freshman year and gave me the the inspiration to to go ahead and do it and then i finally did it my junior year yeah and i have to shout you out cuz when i met you in grad school you encouraged me to transition like you never said lorinda you should go natural but I just love the way you wore your hair and just the confidence in how beautiful it was. And I was like, you know what? I can do this. And you definitely talked to me and walked me through a lot of stuff. You and my friend Rhoda. So shout out to Portia for paying it forward. Thanks. And, you know, and I'm not anti because, Ely, you had some nice you had some nice hairstyles. I was living my <laughs> life through you when you still had that creamy crack. Girl. <laughs> Yes, but anyway, this is not about a podcast about hair, so let's right, get back yeah. to a different world. <laughs> so the show then pivots to the pit where Whitley is getting her on-the-job training on the grill. While working on the grill, Whitley suggests that they reorganize the placement of the burger fixings because it would just make burger assembly more efficient. But Kim insists that Mr. Gaines likes things a certain way and they should not change it. Mr. Gaines comes to the kitchen and balks at Whitley's burgers, which are very tiny, by the way. (laughs) Kim goes into crisis management mode and reassigns Whitley to the window to take orders. Even though Whitley is embarrassed about being at the window because, of course, people will see her and she does not want to be seen working. She figures it's better than washing dishes. Girl, Whitley's little burgers, did you see those? Bless her heart. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like she made little meatballs and then just flattened them. Yeah, she made they were uh, they were sliders before people said sliders. I don't know if sliders existed back then, but she might have invented them. I don't think she did, but Whitley invented the sliders. Whitley is all innovative in the pit, okay? Oh, wait a minute. You know what? I might have to take that back because uh, oh. White Castle had sliders, right? They didn't call them sliders, but they were White true, Castle burgers. True, true. And down south, we had Crystal. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Okay. You're right. Well, yeah. Whitley, Whitley invented it for the pit. Yes, yes. She introduced the concept to the pit. And plus, Whitley was like, y'all eat too much meat anyway. Pull back. <laughs> have you ever worked in food service? I have. That was my first job. Oh. I um I worked at McDonald's in high school. Fine. Um, let's see. I worked on the fries and I worked on drive through. Okay, question 
Would yeah. you get annoyed when people would say, I want fries with no salt? Because they be trying to get the hot fries? No, I understood. Okay. Um, And yeah, I would, you know, it didn't happen very often, but I understood. And okay. I just wipe, wipe down the area and, you know, do a new batch of fries and they'd have to wait for their fries. And yeah. Okay. It wasn't that big of a deal. I didn't mind working on the fries. It would get hot over mm-hmm. there sometimes, but I kind of liked um, just working, focusing on one thing. Mm-hmm. And all I had to do was just make sure I I had a new batch of fries coming out the fryer and salted and, you know, try to have enough done, uh, you know, when, when it was rush time, when there was a lot of people, yeah. but try not to have too many because then you didn't want the fries to go cold. Right. Um, and then when I was on drive-through, I usually was the some I think sometimes I did take orders, but mostly I was the one giving out the the food um in the last window. Mm-hmm. Um so I had to assemble the drinks and I had to make sure that everything was in their bag and um you know if they had any complaints I had to deal with that a little bit or I had to tell them your your order's not ready, you got to go up to this other parking spot and wait. Um so yeah, it was uh it was hard work and occasionally, especially when I was in the drive-through, I'd feel a little bit of embarrassment because I'd see somebody who who I knew. Hmm. And um you know, it it wasn't that bad when I was in high school cuz you know, there were other high school students also working with me, so I was like, okay, this is fine. What embarrassed me a little bit was when I was in college because I was able to hold on to that job um you know when I think my first year I don't think my second year of college I I stayed on but I was able to come back during breaks and work there to earn a little bit of money and it was great because I knew what I was doing but also I would see people Mm -hmm. and especially like sometimes I'd see a teacher come through Mm -hmm. the drive-thru Mm-hmm. And I'd almost want to say, I'm in, I'm in, Col- I'm at Colgate. <laughs> right. I'm a college student. I'm just here, you know, on break, just making some money. Like I've, I'm, I felt the need to explain myself so that they knew that I was a college student and yeah. I didn't, I didn't, you know, fail. Right. I which understand. is, which is a, a, a jacked up kind of mentality anyway, to think that working at McDonald's is a failure. Right. Um, but I just, I felt like I was judging myself and I felt judged mm, um, by people who, who recognized me. So it was a little bit of a challenge. And although I appreciated the money, I ended up leaving because I just had too many conflicting, conflicting yeah. feelings about it. But yeah. it, it did me good. Um, although I'm sure that, uh, you know, looking back on it, they probably could have paid me more. People in food service don't get paid enough. Right. That's very true. Very true. What about you? Do you have a history in food service? I've never worked in food service. However, that is the one regret. I wish that I had at least been a server or something in college, uh, or a bartender. Um, mm. mainly because I think I would have done really good in tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I wanted to be a bartender, um, just because I wanted to learn how to do all that. It just seemed like it was magic 
you could give a drink order and then they'd know what to do. And, yeah. you know, and then the, the, the really good ones know how to do the flourishes and they spin the mm. bottles and right. all kinds of stuff. Be like a mixologist, but I don't even think I coordinated yeah. enough for that stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm sure I would have broken all kinds of glasses and bottles and <laughs> messed somebody's drink up. They asked for a screwdriver and I'll give them, I don't know, a Long Island iced tea because yeah. I wouldn't know what a screwdriver was, but try to play it off. Or maybe, too, you know, I don't think this was a thing when we were younger, but like a bottle girl in the club. You know, I, the first <laughs> thing that I thought of was booty shorts and... um. <laughs> And one of those um, sparklers yeah, that you kind of stick in the, that's that's too scary for me. First of all, I don't, <laughs> booty shorts, no thank you. And being that close to fire, I don't, that's not a good thing for me. <laughs> I feel <laughs> that you. That wouldn't I work. <laughs> I understand. Well, on that note, let's take a quick pause and then we will come back to see how Whitley does on the window. Hillman Class Reunion is committed to supporting institutions that center Black people and communities. We hope that as you return week after week to listen to our podcast, you will hear us use our voices in support of historically Black colleges and universities. And we encourage our classmates to learn about, advocate for, and actively support these institutions of higher education. The coronavirus pandemic has impacted every part of society, with Black lives, Black communities, and Black institutions being amongst the hardest hit. Therefore, all season long, we will highlight and donate to a variety of HBCUs, which have long been the foundation of Black excellence, Black intelligence, and Black innovation. Now more than ever, these institutions need our support. This week, we are highlighting and donating to Delaware State University in Dover, Delaware. Founded in 1891, Delaware State made history in 2020 when it announced that it would acquire Wesley College, becoming the first HBCU to acquire a non-HBCU institution. Go to desu.edu or hillmanclassreunion.com slash WordPress to learn more about Delaware State and ways you can support. All right, so welcome back, classmates. Just to catch you up really quickly, Whitley is working at the pit. She was on the grill, but it wasn't working out. Now we find her servicing the window. So while at the window, Whitley appears to still be struggling. Randall comes up to pick up his order. However, it's incorrect. He's ordered like cheeseburger and chili cheese fries, etc. However, Whitley presents him with a salad and pretty healthy alternatives to what he initially ordered. Meanwhile, Dwayne and Freddie come up to return an undercooked burger and they are shocked to see Whitley working. Later, we see that Whitley has cleaned and rearranged the shelves because I guess the window wasn't really working for her that well either. Even though Mr. Gaines does not appear at all happy with the shelf changes, Willie asserts that her rearrangements will improve their productivity. As Mr. Gaines seems mildly receptive to Whitley's ideas, she introduces him to another concept. 
How about vegetarian burgers, Mr. Gaines, which are a healthier and cheaper alternative to beef? When Mr. Gaines responds with a mm-hmm, which is actually his mark of approval, Kim is shocked by the conversation that she hears between Mr. Gaines and Whitley. So, <laughs> one of the things I found really funny, and again, I love Whitley and her shade and her little, you know, jokes. <laughs> when Randall's, you know, is fussing about his order being correct, she says to Randall, you know, maybe that's why you're crack you're cranky because you're eating all that fried food. <laughs> I, th- I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, when we look back over our history with Randall, Randall is pretty moody most of the time. Randall is moody. Randall is shady. More shady than Whitley. True. True. Although I think he was more angry at that point because I'm surprised Randall didn't give it back. I think Randall just wanted his food. (laughs) (laughs) He wanted his fried food. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that hit home for me in this particular scene as the, you know, plot is unfolding is the difference between Whitley and Kim when it comes to providing suggestions to Mr. Gaines. So one thing about Whitley is she comes right out and says what she thinks, how she feels, whereas Kim is very hesitant. Have you ever found yourself um, being hesitant to offer advice or suggestions especially to a person uh, who is more of an authoritative figure like a teacher a boss manager pastor etc yeah absolutely especially if I'm new Mm -hmm. Um, so I could never see myself in Whitley's position where she's you know first second day on the job and then I got ideas right Um, you know, I I would just play in the background and wait for somebody to, to ask me a question or, you know, just wait until I've been there long enough to earn the right to, to say, maybe you should do this, that, and the third. Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that because I too have that sentiment and I can also identify with Kim because I've been in a situation, um, you know, on a job where, you know, I would have been there for a while and then someone new comes along. They've been there for one or two days or maybe one or two weeks and they got suggestions and they're saying what they think and how they feel. And I'm like, you haven't earned that right. But who says you have to earn it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I'm really, even at the age I am now, I'm really being more conscious and more aware and trying to break myself out of that. Uh, in two ways. Number one, trying to break myself out of thinking that I need to earn the right to say something. Right. And number two, breaking myself out of looking at others, you know, with judgment or some type of, or having an issue with people who do it because I can do it too. And I should be able to do it too. Right. But also I think it is important to point out that, you know, part of, to me, this is, this is my interpretation Kim is, you know, Kim is very much working class. Whitley is not. Um, Mm. So Whitley is not used to being in an environment like this. And so I feel like Whitley's kind of bringing her, her, you know, wealthy mentality, so to speak, her upper class mentality, 
who going you know what what is there to lose who's going to really do anything to me if i say you should do this that and the third mm-hmm. um you know what i have the privilege to change the space around me if i want to mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. nobody nothing's going to happen if i if i rearrange the shelf yeah you told me not to told me not to touch anything but i'm going to touch it and mm-hmm. I'm moving around and yeah, he'll get cranky, but so what, as opposed to someone who is a, in a lower class who, yeah. you know, they can't afford to make mistakes. Kim can't True. afford to, to get fired. Whitley can't either, but it's also a very temporary situation that she's in and she knows that she don't really need this job. Yeah. Um, you know, if push comes to shove, she actually can talk to her father and her mother mm-hmm. and get the money. She just doesn't, yep. she doesn't want to. Um, Kim has no choice but to um, do what she's told and I understand that you know they they both are coming from this from from very different situations and so that kind of colors their mentality and how they approach things in life Um, so I I definitely get how Kim is just like you can't do that Mm. (laughs) because you can't do that right yeah that that's a good point I'm glad you brought that out because it definitely speaks to differences in their socioeconomic status right in the real world right outside of the sitcom universe that's also how it goes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) because those who do do that do come from a place of a different place of privilege a lot of times it is um, one where their socioeconomic standing is higher and also um, race matters as well because I've noticed that my white colleagues and contemporaries are definitely more apt to be more vocal like yeah come out the gate hitting race matters gender matters yeah oh yeah they're socialized Mm -hmm. to to be more authoritative and and you know I'm I'm gonna tell you what I think I'm Mm -hmm. gonna ask why not if you don't you know if you don't like what I said why explain yourself Mm -hmm. you know and women are socialized to just go along to get along so, but yeah. you know in this situation Whitley's the one that's kind of almost coming in like a white man yeah <laughs> which is refreshing to see but yeah yeah it is it really is all right so back to our subplot cadet Ron Johnson tries to sneak into his ROTC class with an improper uniform his hat when Colonel Taylor asks Ron to remove his hat Ron removes it to uncover bandages. When Colonel Taylor acts, he informs Colonel Taylor and his peers that his head is injured and he's received stitches and a blood transfusion from an incident that occurred while he was trying to rescue a cat. (laughs) Of course, Colonel Taylor does not believe the far-fetched story. He removes the bandages and assigns the collective of cadets additional field exercises for Mr. Ron's antics. But not even Colonel Taylor can resist laughing at Ron's botched haircut. Again, poor Ron. Okay, I got a question. (laughs) Okay. So Ron has a jacked up haircut. Is there no one that he can go to to just cut the rest of it off? Like you really don't have to stay in that in that state. You didn't have to go through all this and try to come up with some some crazy story about a cat and wearing hats and stuff. Just True. shave your head bald and just start all over. It'll grow go back. Go bald. Go bald. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing in the very beginning, but you know, 
I guess they needed a subplot. Yeah, and this was, it, this this was a little more far-fetched. I was just like, you you could solve this right now. <laughs> true, very true. Any thoughts on how Colonel Taylor handled this situation? Um, No, I mean, you know, I guess rules are rules. And I guess in ROTC, you, you know, you have to wear your uniform the way that it's supposed to. And if you're not allowed to wear a hat indoors and you don't wear a hat indoors, I just felt like he was, you know, he was kind of pushing it, um, you know, and, and it didn't, I don't know. It's a TV yeah. show. <laughs> Cause part of me was just like, I mean, you do realize that something's happening. Maybe you could pull him to the side or maybe he is having a medical emergency. Like, why do we have to do this? Right. Um, but it is it what is. it is. Yeah. And Ron knew that it was going to be an issue. That's why he didn't want to go to class in the first place. <laughs> he could have come up with a better yeah, story, though. I, I agree. I agree. I know those other cadets were mad, though. Well, okay, but they got punished for laughing. Not because of Ron's, uh, you know, Ron's crazy story. They got punished because the man took his hat off and they saw that messed up haircut and started cracking up. <laughs> and then, and, and so that's the part I was like, oh, that's harsh. They got 30 more minutes just because they laughed at him. I mean, but even Colonel Taylor laughed at him. And embarrassed him. Right. So Colonel Taylor needs to go out there and do laps too. Mm-mm, that ain't going to happen. Mm. <laughs> All right. So two whole days, two whole days into her job at the pit. <laughs> Whitley returns to her room in Gilbert Hall as Kim is studying. Whitley enthusiastically starts giving Kim a recap of her day, noting that the Unburgers were a hit and have surpassed the popularity of the tuna milk. Whitley adds that Mr. Gaines is not as mean and closed off as Kim portrayed him to be. However, Kim is not interested in hearing Whitley's recap. Interestingly, Whitley's tone and attitude towards working at the pit have taken a complete 180 degree turn. She seems to love it, especially since her ideas have been received so well. Kim, on the other hand, becomes increasingly annoyed by Whitley's newly discovered pit affinity. So in... Watching this scene, I immediately thought about a previous episode that we reviewed when Dwayne and Ron were online or, when, you know, when they were mm-hmm. pledging and, you know, Dwayne was used to being, you know, the top dog, number one, and um, the leader in, in you know, being the person who excels. And in this instance, when they were pledging, Ron was the person who was excelling in his craft. Or, you know, in the process. So I was thinking that, you know, Kim was having a Dwayne moment here. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the the pit was her thing. Because if you can recall, classmates, earlier in the season, Mr. Gaines loved Kimberly Reese. He hired her on the spot. Right. Because, you know, she beat out Freddie for the job. And she was Mr. Gaines' golden child. She was the golden employee. And here comes Whitley offering suggestions and appearing to really excel. And Kim finds that a a little hard to to handle. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure that, you know, a piece of her identity is tied up in working at the pit. 
you know, and and even over the years, when you think about the character of Kim, she's uh, pre-med and she works at the pit. If you don't know nothing else. <laughs> yeah. She's pre-med, she finna go to med school and she works at the pit. At the pit, right. So, you know, to have somebody else swoop in and they barely have done anything, yet they somehow are excelling at something that you that you work hard at. Mm-hmm. That is a hard pill to swallow. Not only that, Kim had to train her. Yeah. So you're training the person that leapfrog right over you. Mm. That's a that's a tough one. And you know, again, getting back to this class thing, the way that Whitley comes in and she's just like, "Oh, this is so refreshing. I'm really enjoying, you know." working and I'm part of I'm part of the labor class and I'm (laughs) doing this and that you know she's really um she's really enamored by this new experience Mm -hmm. this is something she's never done before and you know I'm I'm so appreciative and this is great this is like a a fantasy I'm 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 kind of putting on this this coat of Mm -hmm. uh the working class um and this is Kim's life right you know, she again, they're kind of approaching it as two different things. Whitley's looking at this like this is a new experience. And Kim is like, this is a check. Yeah, I'm I know exactly where every penny goes. Mm-hmm. I have to work here so that I can pay off my tuition. Right. Or, you know, my books or whatever, my living expenses. So it's it, it is a bit odd. And I'm sure on multiple levels for Kim to just it. it you know, for ha- for this person who doesn't really need this job to then come in and seem to do better at it than she is. Yeah. that That's tough. Yeah. I can definitely empathize with Kim here. So back to our subplot in McClurkin Hall, we see Ron, who has also had a change of heart. He's now embracing his awful haircut because it has generated sympathy from the lady loves. Meanwhile, Dwayne is searching high and low for his flip down glasses. When Ron suggests that Dwayne put on his backup glasses, he's extremely hesitant because he doesn't care for the aesthetic of the backups. However, Ron is quick to point out that Dwayne should not allow his vanity to impede his movement which is similar to the advice that Dwayne imparted to Ron. My, how the tables have turned. So, you know, what I realize from this, what I realize from this scene is that some advice is differently when you are on the receiving end. Uh-huh. Don't nobody want to hear that. You know, just go out there and be yourself. Right. Until they have to go out and be themselves. Right. <laughs> In a way that they really don't want to be themselves or see themselves, Mm -hmm. ideally. So, to wrap this up, in the final scene, we see Whitley and Kim closing the pit as Whitley is putting the finishing touches on a suggestion box. Whitley is excited that Mr. Gaines has been so receptive to her ideas and she is surprised at how fulfilling her temporary job at the pit has been. Even though her assignment has come to a close and she's collected the money to pay her debt, Whitley also informs Kim that Mr. Gaines has actually offered her a longer-term position. Moreover, Whitley shares that she owes all of her success on the job to Kim. Kim, however, is not that gracious in her response. 
as she is expressing her feelings, she iterates that she brought Whitley into the pit under her wings. And now Whitley is flying the plane. Like, that's not how it's supposed to go, girl. <laughs> as Kim is further articulating her thoughts, she acknowledges that she is more mad at herself than at Whitley for not making her own suggestions earlier on. Essentially, her fears and insecurities got in the way. Whitley responds by assuring Kim that she is an exceptional student and employee, and she should not ever be hesitant to express her suggestions. Kim has a moment of clarity and decides that moving forward, she will be more vocal. The two lock the doors of the pit and walk off with Kim spouting off her new ideas, including chili of the month. Girl, did you know Kim was on the swim team and the choir? I knew about the swim team because um, I remember when Ron and Dwayne were doing that wake up service, um, they needed to wake up Kim early because she had to go to swim practice. Oh, yeah. I don't think that they mentioned it too many times um, after that. But yeah, okay. she had swim practice and then choir. I don't know if I knew that one. Okay. But yeah, Kim's busy, which also... You know, she needs to cut herself some slack. Kim's too busy to be thinking about a whole bunch of ideas to change the pit. <laughs> really got time on her hands. So, yeah, she might come in and say, you know what? I think we need a suggestioni box. <laughs> so I definitely get what you are saying. She definitely needs to extend herself some grace. But I also, I, again, I can empathize with Kim because she's an overachiever and Mm -hmm. I've been like that too and I, I still am like that to a certain extent I want to be the best at everything but you know I have to realize that it's okay to not be yeah it's okay yeah. to not be I'm same same here yeah and you know as I was saying earlier I can also identify with that Kim you know wanting to respect authority and thinking about you know timing and you know maybe it's not my time to be as assertive or it's not my time to give suggestions um I think there's a good balance that we have to have and so I definitely want to embody a little more of that Whitley spirit now is Whitley by any means perfect absolutely not is there room for improvement absolutely yes but I do admire uh, her moxie and I want a little more of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe she gets that from Marion. Maybe. You know, Marion, we saw her in action um, not too long ago. Right. When she uh, when she came to town and she was at that cocktail party mm -hmm. with, with Board of Trustees and everything. And she knew how to, you know, coax people to do things that she wanted them to do. And uh, she was able to get, uh, what's his name, Kent, to call up Whitley and and go out on a date and you know she she knows how to how to get folks to to uh connect mm -hmm. and um yeah so I'm sure Whitley also you know watching her growing up with her she knows how to how to talk people into things yeah like she did with Mr. Gaines she uh, Mr. <laughs> Gaines saw some of the changes that she was trying to make and he was like nah but then when she explained it he was like oh okay and she allowed him to say it back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes people people don't 
necessarily want you to tell them something. Mm-hmm. They want you to suggest it so that they can then parrot it back as their own right. idea. <laughs> and true. then you're like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. So with that said, final thoughts and takeaways for me. Um, I thought it was a solid episode. It had themes that many young adults and older adults can identify with. You know, sometimes we get upset with our friends about something, but it may mean that we need to be more introspective because sometimes we can be upset at our friends when in actuality we may be upset about ourselves, about our lack of um, taking advantage of an opportunity. And the other thing I thought of was, you know, also how important it is as a manager or supervisor to make sure that we create spaces and opportunity for less subordinate, or I'm sorry, less vocal subordinates. Because, you know, you brought up the, um, the class differences and gender differences, et cetera, as we, you know, create these more inclusive workspaces and study spaces. It's important that we are mindful of people's different backgrounds and experiences and how that will, or or rather how that may shape their ability or not even ability, but their willingness and or hesitancy to participate and to share. And I think societally and culturally, we're so used to letting the more alpha, more boisterous personalities to always shine. But, you know, we have to make sure that we create a lane for our less vocal, maybe more introspective and more cerebral participants and coworkers and colleagues to participate. Yeah. Instead of allowing, you know, one personality type to always dominate the conversation and the input. Exactly. Exactly. Make it a more equitable workspace. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, one thing for me, again, to your point about, um, you know, recognizing when we may need to be a bit more introspective and not necessarily be upset at other people for doing the thing that you wanted to do. I do appreciate that Kim recognized that, mm-hmm. you know, when when she finally had that conversation with Whitley at the end, she was like, I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at me. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she, she amended that and kind of said, well, yeah, I am kind of mad at you, but I'm more mad at myself. Um, So I appreciate that she took, that she recognized what was happening and she took, um, she took responsibility for, for that. Um, And so, yeah, I, I appreciated that moment. Um, Again, with the, with the class differences that we saw, uh, you know, it was a, a hint of it. Um, you know, again, with this seemingly being Whitley's first job, the way she was carrying it on, carrying on, I, um, it seemed like she was working for the first time while Mm -hmm. we know that Kim has been working since she was a kid, um, Mm -hmm. at least since she was in high school. Um, and so, you know, just, just seeing their different approaches to, to this job and, um, kind of, the different things that they're getting out of it. It seems like Whitley was getting a sense of fulfillment mm-hmm. um, that she does not get elsewhere. Whereas Kim is just like, this is a job. This is one of the many things that I have to do. 
you know, and I, I know that I'm getting money. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about it. I was, I'm yeah. not necessarily getting my, uh, you know, finding my purpose in life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, um, shout out to Daryl M. Bell in this episode. He might be the MVP because he allowed that? somebody to take them clippers to Girl. his actual head. <laughs> that was not makeup. That wasn't True. some prop. That was his actual head of hair that had all them lines cut through. So uh, I'm sure that that wasn't easy. Uh, you know, these episodes aren't filmed in, in just one day. Right. I don't believe it, it takes some time. So he had to walk around like that in his real life for several days. Mm-hmm. Um, and that couldn't have been easy. So I'm sure that there was a bit of uh, um, uh, art imitating life, imitating art, in a sense, where the character of Ron had to deal with how is he going to walk around campus looking like this? And Daryl and Bell probably was thinking, how am I going to walk around, wow. <laughs> <laughs> walk around the city looking like this? If we ever get to interview him, we will have to ask that question. <laughs> yeah, I would like to know. How what was did that you for do? you? Yeah. What happened when you found out that that was going to be the uh, the storyline right. you were going to have to tell? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so how do you think this episode might be done different if done today or differently if done today? Um, I think they would have explored the class differences a little bit more. You know, mm-hmm. we we were filling in blanks here. Um, and like I said, I saw a hint of it just in uh, some of the things that they were saying. But mm-hmm. I think that if it was done today, it would have been a bit more explicit. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I think that would be one of the major things that would be different. Yeah. I think um, one of the differences would be Instead of just a vegetarian burger, Whitley may have offered a vegan menu, <laughs> right? Right, with more vegan options, and um, maybe Whitley would have done the GoFundMe thing to raise money instead of getting a job, because people GoFundMe a lot these days. <laughs> people GoFundMe, but that also requires everybody to know you ain't got no money. True. That's a great point. <laughs> she might have to do it anonymously somehow. She might have done it anonymously or used maybe a charity or some other um, charitable like event as a cover. Right. <laughs> Who knows? But I'm sure it would have changed the plot dynamic. So seeing Whitley work was, was kind of fun. Yeah. Also, that wasn't a bad idea that she was trying to come up with, with, um, you know, the renting of her fur. Um, True. Maybe she maybe she tried it on the wrong person. Maybe she should have uh, gone to the faculty or, or to other staff or something. Somebody that might have had some, some money to spare. Right. Because, truth be told, that is a thing now where you can rent certain luxury items. Yep. Uh, you know, including apparel and accessories. So that actually might have worked. We might have seen, we may have seen her even start a little, you know, online enterprise. Who knows? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And last but not least, let's rate this episode on a scale of one to five. So I'm, I'll go first. 
For me, I'll give it a three. Yeah, I'm going to give it a three as well. It was a solid episode. Nothing yeah. wrong with it whatsoever. Um, but it was just okay. And yeah. I, you know, I think that we need episodes like this, especially, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're saying that A Different World is the most important um, show ever. Um, that doesn't mean that every episode has to be important. Right. Um, I think it, there's also power in showing these students um just doing regular schmegular stuff. Yep. And going <laughs> all we're doing is just seeing them try to make some money working yeah. at the pit and then right. how am I going to deal with this messed up haircut? That's it. Yeah, and, and these are things that students do experience. Uh of course, you know, the the comedy is exaggerated, but um these are definitely applicable situations and as we've already discussed, there are lessons and some takeaways that we can get from this. So, and those we appreciate. Yeah. So solid episode, definitely not one of the favorite or more iconic episodes, but it's still the best and most important sitcom ever. So. And now I remember this episode. And now I I always remember this episode. (laughs) I will always remember this episode as well. Well, classmates, this concludes this installment of our Hillman Class Reunion podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We can't wait to see you again as we continue to wrap up season two of A Different World. All right. See y'all next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. I'm Dr. LaRonda Ely. And I'm Dr. Portia Flowers. Thank you for listening to this installment of Hillman Class Reunion Podcast. Hillman Class Reunion is produced, written, directed, and edited by LaRonda Ely and Portia Flowers. Original intro and outro music was produced by our friend and brother, Daquan Bowen. You can get more information about him at DaquanBowen.com. That's D-E-Y-Q-U-A-N-B-O-W-E-N-S.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hillman Reunion, Instagram at Hillman Class Reunion, and Facebook at Hillman Class Reunion. And visit our website at hillmanclassreunion.wordpress.com. And hey, classmates, like, rate, and subscribe to Hillman Class Reunion on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hope that you join us for our next episode of Hillman Class Reunion. Bye. Bye.